I'm WGBH reporter Adam Riley. It's Wednesday, August 13th, 2014, and you're listening to The Scrum. Each week on The Scrum Podcast, we talk about politics and media from Boston to the Beltway. Joining me here in The Scrum studio is WGBH's political analyst, David Bernstein. Hello, David. Always glad to be here with you, Adam. So, David, as you know, because you're something of a political insider, there are some people who believe that the race for attorney general this year, in particular the race for the Democratic nomination uh, for attorney general, may be the most interesting race going on anywhere around the state, including the governor's race, which has left some people kind of cold. Yeah, the, uh, the Republican you, uh, part of the attorney general's uh, uh, race is more like a trivia question. I think. Hey, I think we're going to be having him on. In a John Miller? Bit. Yes. We haven't? I God, believe so. God, I believe so. so now that you've dissed him, what can you tell me about? Are you as excited about the Democratic <laughs> I'm very, race? And I'm, as I'm very excited about John Miller. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, get in too much trouble on that. No, this is, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, at the convention, the Democratic uh, state convention, there was frankly more excitement about the speeches uh, for the attorney general uh, candidates, Maura Healy and, and uh, uh, Moore and Tolman. Than, uh, than, frankly, than uh, governor's candidate speeches. Is that because Tolman and Healy are just better speakers than the Dems running for governor? I, I, you know, I think there was, that was part of it. I think uh, they, they both had good uh, intro videos, which is very key in my opinion. Um, but it's a, there's just some excitement about it. You know, I heard a lot of people saying, geez, I wish these two were, you know, were running for governor and or uh, lieutenant governor. You know, I, I, and I've heard a lot of that since. So there's just a little more excitement. Maybe it's because it's more of an unknown. You know, people maybe think that uh, the governor's race is not as close uh, at the moment in terms of the primary. Uh, but the, the attorney general's race is more wide open is the sense of it. Who do you see being excited or who did you at the convention see being excited about Tolman and who was excited about Healy? I would say that both have a lot of appeal to progressives generally. Uh, Warren Tolman certainly has a lot of backing from uh, labor. Uh, so you saw a lot of that at the convention, obviously. Um, and I would say that uh, Maura Healy has, uh, has captured some of the enthusiasm of some of the folks who are looking for sort of a, a new face, the sort of next Deval Patrick kind of thing to get excited about. Uh, you know, she's the one who's unknown out of all the races. So I think that that's had some appeal among that crowd. And she's, she'd be a pathbreaker if elected, too, because among other things, she's, first, uh, she'd be the first openly gay attorney general, right? Yes. And first openly gay uh, office holder elected statewide. Am I getting that right? Here in Massachusetts? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe that that's correct. Yeah. All right. Well, we just so happen to have one of these two candidates for the... Uh, oh, my. Look yes. <laughs> what are the odds? Warren Tolman, who's in the room with us and has kindly allowed us to talk about him like he isn't for a couple minutes. Warren Tolman, thank you for being here and uh, taking the time to talk with us. Thank you, Adam. I didn't know I got to... To speak here, I, you just told me not to, to chime in. So <laughs> we just wanted you to not appreciatively people and, yeah. in and talk about them <laughs> Thanks, and you know, make them stand there. And, you know. Let me start by asking you about one of the issues where you've really worked hard to differentiate yourself from Maura Healy. I'm talking about guns and gun control. The governor signed this new gun control bill into law today, and both you and Maura Healy put out statements, which honestly, I feel like you almost could have swapped statements and the tone would have been unrecognizable. Uh, you guys are both excited about this legislation, about using it to crack down on illegal gun use. So 
For anyone who hasn't been paying attention or for anyone who needs clarification, how do you differ from Maura Healy when it comes to gun control? Well, this is a huge issue, actually. We both support smart gun technology. This is the technology that was in the James Bond movie where you can grip a gun handle. There's a chip in there. It recognizes your fingerprint, your gun, your fingerprint. You can fire the trigger. You can have five people on it just yourself. There are also bracelets that talk to the gun and the like. Developed in 2000 by Smith & Wesson but not available anywhere in the United States because the NRA organized the boycott of Smith & Wesson products and said, if you sell this, we're going to force you out of business. Um, every hour of every day, Adam, somewhere in America, a young child is injured as a result of a gun accident, and I want to change that. Uh, smart gun technology will save lives. And specifically, I want to use the powers of the Attorney General's office under Chapter 93A to issue a regulation requiring smart gun technology on new guns sold in, the, in, in Massachusetts. Uh, Mara Healy, my opponent, says that she supports smart, smart gun technology, but she's not going to do this. I can't wait. Uh, the NRA, I get that they're a big, powerful interest. I took on big tobacco when I was in the legislature. On another radio program, Rush Limbaugh attacked me, called me a nas- uh, an anti-smoking Nazi on national radio. Uh, but you know what? It was an important battle then. This is an important battle now. This is going to save lives. That saved lives. I know the American Cancer Society sent me around the country. Uh, so I know that we can beat the NRA and the Attorney General of Massachusetts has the power to issue gun regulations. Then, Scott Harshbarger used these gun regulations and issued in 1997. They were upheld by the SJC in 1999. I mean, that is the question: is whether you have the power under uh, under the 93A? And uh, Maury Healy is skeptical of it. I, I frankly, I'm a little skeptical myself of whether uh, you know whether that's covered under the the regulatory power that, that it talks about there. What happens if you try to do this and, you know, they bring a lawsuit and, you know, when you say we need to do this right away, are we going to end up a lot of years of litigation uh, trying to work out whether you have the power to do this? I appreciate your concern about the workload of the several hundred lawyers in the attorney general's office. I do. They have a lot I, I of things to do if, they're, think, if you're going to put them on this. I, you know? I think a lot about those kids that are killed every hour of every day. I think about cut da- cutting down on gun trafficking. Uh, frankly, I think the law is clear. They, this went up to the SJC once. Um, the notion somehow that my opponent suggests we can regulate toy guns, which we can under Chapter 93A, mm-hmm. but we can't regulate regular guns. I think is preposterous. It's the same theory that I use when I took on the tobacco industry. Uh, and, and, and frankly, I think you've got to, at worst case, assuming you're right, David, which I, I give less than a 1% chance of that in this okay. instance. I know you're a smart guy and, I, and you have a lot of thoughtful, insightful comments. In this I, instance, however— I wouldn't expect too many over the next you know, 15, <laughs> 20 minutes, but I'll, I'll see if I can come okay. up with one. Well, given the way we're starting out, that's probably accurate, but that's all right. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, to be candid, um, assuming you're right— yeah. Why not shine some sunshine on this this issue and raise the specter of it and and, and hopefully have people asking their legislators, why don't we have smart gun technology? And I have to say, uh, just just generally, and I've spoken with you a little bit about this issue in the past. I've written about it in the past. I'm just a big believer that that this has got to be pushed forward, uh, both both because it prevents – you know, kids from picking up the gun and, and using it, but also uh, it it prevents the – it will cut down on the theft of uh, handguns, which exactly. is what feeds the black market. And and the big thing is it, we have to create a market for the, 
the technology and states have to have to start that. We, we have a legal stuff. memo on this, David, which we're happy to share on you. I think that you know. Not is that only, up on the campaign website? No, right it isn't. But uh, it, 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 if I you can get, get it, it to us, perhaps for yeah, posting yeah. with this new scrum, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, we'd it, love to. It, it, what's clear here is that Scott Harshbarger promulgated a regulation in 1997 on the gun load mechanism, where right. that is what strength was needed in order to pull a gun trigger. It's directly on point to what we're doing. We're controlling how the gun trigger can be can be uh, pulled. And furthermore, that was before the 1998 statute um, giving express authority to the attorney general's office. I was a co-author of the assault weapons ban that gave that authority expressly. And even without that express authority, the SJC held up the attorney general's authority to promulgate regulations here. So I think okay. it's pretty clear. Warren, we asked... And so does Scott Hoshberger, by the way. Sorry. Adam. We asked people on Twitter for questions they might have for you when you came on. And one of the questions was, if you're elected AG and you want to take this this path and implement smart gun technology, you know, unilaterally as AG. I shouldn't say unilaterally because the question was, would you seek buy-in from other elected office holders? Would you try to get, you know, convince the governor, whoever that is, that this was the right course of action and other people? Or would you just go it alone? Would you say, I've looked at this. This is the best way to do it. Well, I'm not going to seek buy-in from anybody. Um, but I, what I am going to do, consistent with the authority of the attorney general, is to issue a proposed regulation have a 30-day public comment window, and then proceed. Uh, that is my expectation 1,000%. This is necessary. It will save lives. I understand that the ever-litigious NRA will take me on in more ways than one. They, there, was a, there was a merchant in Maryland a few months ago and one before that uh, three months ago in California wanted to sell smart gun technology. Uh, in one instance, they got 3,800 calls complaining, including death threats, that they wanted to sell this technology that is that was developed in Massachusetts that's available in Europe, but you can't buy it in Massachusetts. And and I think that you can't buy it in the United States. I think that's a disgrace. Somebody's got to stand up to the NRA. I seem to recall you making the case when this bill was being um, sort of crafted in the legislature and was – uh, hearings were being held, that kind of thing. I seem to remember you making the case that Maura Healy was afraid to take the NRA on, maybe not verbatim, but that seemed to be the gist of some press releases I got. Do you think she's afraid to take on the NRA? I, I, I think actions speak louder than words here. And you know what? She says that she ran half the office and they didn't do anything in this area. And I, I would suggest that there had to have been some gun regs you could have done in this area where there's serious problems with violence in, in our cities and, and throughout Massachusetts to make our communities, to make our neighborhoods safer. You mentioned uh, Scott Harshbarger uh, a moment ago, who is supporting you, uh, your candidacy. Um, uh, when he ran for attorney general against an incumbent at the time that he, he first, I believe it was 1990, 90? Correct, 90. Um, one of his principal arguments at the time was, I'm a pros- he was a Middlesex DA at the time, uh, I'm a prosecutor, he's a politician. The office of attorney general is one that you should have someone with uh, prosecutorial experience uh, and, and courtroom experience and that sort of thing and not just a career politician. You're not a career politician, but you're also not a prosecutor and, and – you uh, don't have a vast wealth of uh, trial experience. Does Harshbarger's argument apply to the, you against Maura Healy? Well, I, I, I think you've explained that I'm not a politician. I'm 54. 
I spent eight years in elective office. I'm very proud of that tenure. Frankly, one of the most independent legislators in the last, I would say, 30, 40 or more years. I challenged Speaker of the House, sued him over clean elections. I might maybe the only Democratic state senator to not have voted for Billy Bulger to have served with them. I, I banned smoking in the, in the state house over the objections of a chain smoking Senate president. In 20 years, there'd been one piece of legislation that dealt with campaign finance and ethics reform. I'm the, I was the chief sponsor. The Globe once referred to me as uh, Mr. Ethics pain in the you-know-what. I'm proud of that. So I've been an independent voice. Someone also referred to me when I ran for governor in 02. Tolman's a one-trick pony. All he talks about is reform, reform, reform. So, you know, the notion that I'm this, you know, this, this uh, whatever you want to paint me as, is I think is ludicrous. When, instead, when you look at the breadth of my experiences uh, working since, 19, uh, since I got out of law school uh, at, at two large firms uh, dealing with Small companies, large companies, frankly, for 13 of those years, being a, a, a litigation attorney, uh, it, you know, true, I wasn't in court every day, David, but many weeks I was in court virtually every day. And a lot, lot of those cases never went to trial. You know what? If you're a good lawyer and you can judge a case, you don't go to trial necessarily. So there's a lot to, to this that uh, I'm proud of my record of public service. I'm proud of my record of private service. And I think at the end of the day, that will make me a better attorney general, having taught at BC Law School and Northeastern Law School about a whole, whole range of uh, uh, a different experience that I've had in my life. I think that's a, that's a good thing. Warren, I want to ask you about um, your progressive bona fides, which you just listed, and your stance on casinos, which, as you know, has given some people who might be inclined to support you uh, pause. There's another one. Scott Harshbarger is... Uh, yeah, on, Scott, huh? Scott Harshbarger is a good Very case in point. We also heard from a, a scrum listener who wanted us to bring this up and pointed out that Richard Daynard, who I think you worked with on your anti-tobacco work back in the day, I might be wrong about that, but he's now uh, Public Health Advocacy Institute head at Northeastern. He had the following uh, comment about what he believes are similarities between the tobacco industry and the casino gaming or gambling industry. The predatory gambling industry shares much in common with the tobacco industry. For example, casinos employ electronic gambling machines that are designed to addict their customers in a way that's similar to how the tobacco industry formulates its cigarettes to be addictive by manipulating their nicotine levels and other ingredients. He goes on, his argument is bigger than that. But what do you think about comparisons between the tobacco industry, which you fought, and the casino industry, which you support? They're not all inaccurate. I, I yield that to Dick Daynard, who was a, a great advocate on the anti-tobacco uh, stuff. I acknowledge that. The people of Massachusetts are going to have the opportunity to vote for that. But at the same time, you know, f an hour down the road, less than that for some people in Massachusetts, there are two casinos where which derive 40% of the revenue from Massachusetts voters. Uh, and we're talking about thousands of jobs here. The business is so, hurting, though. Both in Connecticut, you know, New York, New Jersey, the business isn't what it used to be. I, I'm not overly concerned about the bottom line of the casino operators. If they decide to come here, I think they'll figure that out. I'm not going to. What I'm concerned about potentially is to have jobs in a city like Springfield, which was, as you know, under state receivership from 2003 to 2009, bordering on the brink of, of bankruptcy, uh, and has had flat 
revenue for that city for many years. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that communities get to vote on whether they want it in their city or town. Uh, and if the people of Massachusetts decide that they don't want casinos in November, then I will do as I've always done and abide by the wishes of the people. And if they s- decide that they do want them, you believe that you can be an effective and aggressive regulator? There will be no more aggressive attorney general in the United States holding the industry accountable for their host and surrounding community agreements to make sure they don't engage in any predatory marketing practices to ensure that they make all their commitments on gambling anonymous, no liens on houses. And by the way, the other part of this that isn't always talked about is the public corruption piece. We have seen with this industry, Adam, many instances in the United States where public corruption goes along with the casino industry coming into a community. I will look and work with the U.S. Attorney's Office and federal and state and local authorities to ensure that we have none of that. And if we do, they ought to know that we're coming, to, we're, we're coming to get them. My last gaming question, and David may have one or he may want to move on. Your opponent has made much of the fact that you used to work at Fast Track Games, this online gaming company. You were director of business development, and your name is on some patent applications. Did I get that right? Not patents themselves, but applications. What does that mean uh, for you know, the layperson who might be listening? What does it mean to have your name on a patent application involving online gaming? It, it means that this entity, this startup, which never got off the ground, which was predicated on working with and exclusively with state lotteries, never had an employee or a dollar of revenue, uh, that my name was on those applications, uh, and uh, I have no interest in them. I've dissolved any interest with it, and uh, it's totally in my rearview mirror. has been for months, and the only one that brings this up is my opponent and her team. You mentioned public corruption a minute ago. Has uh, Martha Coakley been tough enough on uh, and aggressive enough on public corruption? I mean, I don't know the, backs, the facts of all the, uh, the issues that she's had to deal with. I will tell you, David, you know, I looked at the probation issue and, uh, you know, obviously didn't like what I saw uh, and, 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 and what was happening and, the, and basically what are the heart of the, of the criminal justice system and the crimes for which John O'Brien and his, and his crew were convicted were racketeering and uh, mail fraud, neither of which are available for right. the attorney general. So there are instances and there are things that we can do and it will to strengthen the attorney general's hand on this thing. And I would like to drive a legislative agenda. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you one area, just as an aside, uh, that I want to push there and, and other... Other than reforming the criminal justice system, which I think we need to reevaluate from A to Z, how we target crime and how we put mm-hmm. people on probation, parole, and, and, and alternative sentencing, repealing mandatory minimums for nonviolent drug offenders and the like. But putting that aside, wiretap law. It's mm-hmm. been in place since 1968. It's basically geared towards organized crime. I would like to make a very narrow, except, a very narrow um, classification for individuals engaged with gun violence in in gangs. Uh, Sam Sutter, the DA of Bristol County, says to me, if I had a a little bit of broadening of the wiretap, not for you or I or anyone who's not engaged in crime and not engaged in crime with guns, very narrow exception, I think we could could, uh, help with uh, some of the violence in some of our urban communities. So you're looking, if memory serves, for less of an expansion than Martha Coakley saw, right? I mean, she, I believe, saw a great big – David, correct me if I'm wrong here, and Warren, you also. But she wanted, uh, I think, enhanced capability in a number of different cases. The ACLU was very displeased. Civil libertarians didn't like it. You're looking at a more narrow ratcheting up, right? I I am, Adam. And my concern here is that no law-abiding citizen should ever have to worry about Big Brother. I get why people 
people don't want transponders. I get these license plate scanners that are out there that can be uh, misutilized by law enforcement. Uh, we need to have some specific controls about what Big Brother is doing and when they're watching us so that, you know, any law-abiding citizen doesn't have to worry about their coming and goings and who's watching them. I'm curious uh, um, if you could speak a little bit to the, the partners' uh, health care that, you know, the the mergers, acquisitions, uh, and uh, Martha Coakley's role in that. And uh, and more broadly, you know, it, how would you go about making the kinds of decisions about when to get involved and how to get involved? It, you know what I mean? It, you've got something like that. I, I could see other kinds of situations, you know, popping up uh, in the healthcare area um, to deal with the, uh, the providers, uh, the market basket situations going on. Uh, how would you weigh... Uh, you know, what's what's your process in trying to do that? Do you, sure. do you have you know sort of a, a kitchen cabinet? Especially private you, industry is concerned. You mean like? Yeah, I'm trying, sort of trying to get you know how you how you approach things, how you'll make your decisions. Sure, kind of I think that's a fundamental difference between me and my opponent, and that is that I think I have pretty good leadership skills, and I and I'm not afraid to stand up against the tide of public opinion if I see something that needs to be reckoned with and dealt with. In a, and I'll tell you one thing that I've been talking about since I got in this campaign that I don't think any candidate is really talking about, and that is the issue of on-campus sexual assault. The fact that a woman today is more likely to be the victim of sexual assault if she goes to college than if she doesn't is, is, is outrageous to me. I, and I say that, by the way, as, a, as the father of a daughter who's going to be a junior at BC right up the road. Uh, this is a, an area— I wouldn't mess with the attorney general's daughter. I would stay away. <laughs> That's well, <laughs> especially one as big by. as Warren, uh, I would stay away. <laughs> no, I, I will tell you, though, this is a fear that every parent has, David. And, and, and uh, you know, I want to make the, the best colleges and universities, which I believe we have here in Massachusetts, the safest. So I'm going to call a summit and I'm going to get every college and university together. And I'm going to say to my own alma mater, Amherst College, OK, you had a difficult chapter. What did you do? And they've done some great things to, to make your campus safer. And, 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 and just go throughout and teach about bystander intervention. There's some great videos. Kenyon College has done some great stuff. The University of Montana, and they've had a difficult chapter as well. This is about leadership. It's about pushing. And by the way, I'm not going to wait till when I'm sworn in. If When I'm elected, hopefully in November, I'm going to call this summit in, in the beginning of, of uh, December. Because if I can save one woman, and it's primarily, though not exclusively women, that are victims of sexual assault, I'll consider that summit a success if, if I can prevent one assault from happening. By the way, a lot of people think, oh, John and Sally got drunk, John got carried away. Isn't that a terrible thing? No. 50% of these sexual assaults are done by women, uh, by men, who engage in this conduct six or more times. These guys are sexual that's predators. We've got to stop this. So that's my leadership. Market basket? Absolutely, Dave. You've done some great stuff here. I get them together. I, I, I go to Arthur T's house, and if he won't meet with Arthur S, I go to Arthur S's house, and I do shuttle diplomacy. These are, Arthur know, I, T I, I is met... the good one, just to remind our listeners, <laughs> uh, or, or so we're told. <laughs> Arthur S, the, the boogeyman. Yeah, That's right. No, but you, So Martha you, Coakley, do you think she should be knocking on the door trying to do that? I, I can only say what I would be doing. That's my style of leadership. Say, look, we got thousands of jobs here. Thousands of jobs. With, you know, both the employees that I met with last week, uh, 
what's today? I don't even know. It might have been the earlier this week. Uh, but, you know, plus the, 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 the suppliers, plus the consumers. Yeah, yeah. So and, and the ripple effect it has, is, it's not good. So these people need, need help. They need leadership. What about on the, the partners issue that David mentioned? The AG has caught some flack for not being aggressive enough uh, when it comes to holding partners' feet to the fire. Do you think she's done a decent job on this or should she have done more? You know, I can't evaluate. The, the dynamic of the back and forth with partners, my concern is, as someone who grew up, you know, in Watertown right across the way and whose mom and dad started my family in a federal housing project literally right up the street here on Fidelis Way in Boston, you know, it, when my mom got sick and she had a serious stroke and spent the last five years of her life in a nursing home, we were concerned about the costs of health care and, and how we were going to grapple with that. You know, thankfully, my, my parents had eight kids. We were able to all pitch in and help out my dad as he tried to help my mom. But not everybody has that resource. So what I would like to do, and, and the overarching concern here, A, partners has great quality. Absolutely, we want to keep that there. We want accessibility, absolutely. But we need to make sure it's affordable. And that's where my concern is with partners. Uh, and, and so I, I want to make sure that we have a downward pressure on, on prices. Uh, I want to increase transparency uh, so that if you're buying an MRI in one hospital and, a, and another hospital costs 3x of that, you ought to know that. You ought to be able to find that and discern that. Speak, speaking of transparency. By the way, actually, I hate to interrupt you. i got to mention here, by way of a disclaimer, that my wife works for partners, so I want to get that uh, in there and on the table. Should, should I mention Shelsa that my wife does too, Adam? Okay, now, there still we go. And, uh, uh, you released uh, three years' worth of uh, tax returns. The last two years, 2012-2013, you reported over a million dollars' worth of income, most of that Cumulatively, coming, David. What, cumulatively, not, not annually. Not, not each year. No, no, no. Right. Total over the two right. years, including uh, a little over $900,000 of business income, you know, Schedule C uh, uh, that's a lot of money to for us as you know for people as people uh, working in public media. <laughs> about eight hundred thousand of it was the WGBH uh, countries. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. Could could you tell us you know who your top clients were in terms of who you were making that money from uh, over the last two years? On, on my taxes, yeah, sure. Uh, so my law firm, mm-hmm. uh, my uh, uh, the SEIU eleven ninety nine I worked for uh, some. Other clients, but those were the two largest uh, providers. How uh, much uh, did you earn from uh, CIU uh, uh, eleven ninety nine over the last couple? Which, of years? for any listeners who might not know, is the service workers, service international uh, employees, international the employees. healthcare workers. They're at the lowest end of the economic ladder. And just for the record, when I started with them, they were a union of eight thousand employees in Massachusetts. They're now over fifty thousand. I was also a strategic very advisor. Powerful in the state. They are now. They weren't. Yeah. No, I know. 2005. Uh, so, and, and, and frankly, I like the fact that I was able to help them grow. But they, they paid me $120,000 a year. It's about time for us to wrap up. But I have one more question I want to run by you, and then David can get the, the last one in. You helped Boston Mayor Marty Walsh out a lot before he became Boston Mayor Marty Walsh. Did you play John Connolly in his debate prep? Am I right about that? I did, despite, ah. despite my haircut. Uh, so I, <laughs> I actually played Charlie Baker for, uh, for Devell Patrick, oh, right, if the right. truth be so, told. So let me ask you, um, regarding Mayor Marty Walsh, given that you helped him recently in a, a big race that, that he won, what, if anything, is he doing or do you expect him to do to help you become AG? Well, I, I hope he's uh, spreading the word with uh, the, the many 
people that are fans of his that there's one candidate in this race that's a progressive, that's a uh, comes from a blue collar background, but is committed to a progressive agenda and a proactive attorney general's office that will use the type of leadership that we need to take on some issues like the opiate scourge, like gun violence in our communities, and frankly, uh, like the on-campus sexual assault. And by the way, we haven't even talked about something that I think is very important, and that is using the attorney general's office to protect consumers, which I've seen the consumer complaints to the AG's office drop persidiously over the last several years. And I really believe that we ought to have an AG's office, which is out in the community with multilingual individuals asking for and looking for complaints against unscrupulous merchants and people that are abusing the do not call list and on and on to protect consumers. That's a way where we can help people. You know, we can't always cut taxes because we, we, we need to provide for government services. But if we can save someone over an unscrupulous merchant as the people's attorney, that's what I believe this, this office ought to be representing. Uh, no, all I wanted to, to ask uh, is, is who's playing Maura Healy in your debate prep? Uh, I, I'd be happy to tell you that uh, <laughs> after, after the have Do you election. have a, are there, you don't have a whole lot of debates lined up, though, unfortunately. No, we have uh, one tomorrow at, yeah. uh, at WGBH. WGBH. You might Emily have heard Rooney that moderating station. Uh, yeah. Greater Boston. Uh, yeah, uh, Emily Rooney, <laughs> so, and, and then, uh, you know, several more that uh, down the road. But we've had over a dozen at this point, yeah, so we've had a, a lot of lot debates. Of forms, uh, and by yeah. the way, listeners, you can watch that debate at 7 p.m. on Channel 2 between Warren Tolman and Maura Healy. That is going to do it for this week's Scrum. Warren Tolman, thanks a bunch for joining us. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you, David. Oh, glad to have you here. By way of a reminder, you can listen to the Scrum's interview with Maura Healy on our blog, which is at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. And we always welcome questions and comments there. You can also find more from the Scrum in iTunes, so please subscribe if you haven't already. On behalf of WGBH's politics analyst, David Bernstein, thanks for listening. Oh, one more thing. We're talking to Barney Frank, the former congressman next week. He's a man of few words, but we will try to listen <laughs> Try to get something out. That being said, I'm Adam Riley. Our engineer is Jane Pippick. Our producer is Abby Ruzica. And The Scrum is a production of WGBH News.